Hello and welcome to Reedy River Bible Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Charles Roberts, back with another midweek Bible study. I'm recording this the week of May the 12th. Uh, that was yesterday, of course, the Lord's Day. And I want to speak to you on a topic of great relevance and interest, I suppose, because people are always interested in times prophetic business, and <clears throat> we certainly have had a, a good dose of it in recent months and weeks with the uh, COVID-19 virus being talked about, and especially as it relates to the subject of vaccines. Uh, many people are equating the possibility that um, people will be required or strongly encouraged to receive a vaccine against the virus, and uh, that this may be somehow the mark of the beast. Before we go any further with that, <clears throat> and just to show that this is not a lot of uh, uh, fanciful nonsense, Please give your attention to this statement from actually December 2019, last this past December, from a website called Science Alert, sciencealert.com, an invisible quantum dot tattoo could be used to ID vaccinated kids. So this isn't specifically about the, this article is not specifically about the coronavirus, but this has certainly been used in discussion of the coronavirus in weeks, recent weeks, most notably uh, multi-billionaire so-called philanthropist Bill Gates has mentioned this. And I'm just quoting uh, very briefly from this article. For the people overseeing nationwide vaccination initiatives in developing countries, keeping track of who, who had which vaccination when it can, uh, and when it can be a tough task. But researchers from MIT, that's Massachusetts Institute of Technology, might have a solution. Now get this now, they have created an ink that can be safely embedded in the skin alongside the vaccination itself, the vaccine itself. And it's only visible using a special smartphone camera app and filter. In other words, they found a covert way, their words, to embed the record of a vaccination directly into a patient's skin rather than documenting it electronically or on paper. And their low-risk tracking system could greatly simplify the process of maintaining accurate vaccine records, especially on a larger scale. So as I said, <clears throat> that was not in reference specifically to the coronavirus because in December 2019, uh, at least here in this country, nobody was ever talking about it. So there was already a plan in place to develop a vaccine, and they had already developed it, in which there was tracking information, a mark, if you will, so that people could be identified as having had it. Now, where does this come and intersect with the subject of Bible prophecy and end-time speculation? Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, always a fertile ground, of course, for people who are interested in these sorts of things. And let me say, I'm not trying to be dismissive. Uh, these are very, very serious topics. Uh, but the problem is, the book of Revelation and New Testament prophecy has been long misunderstood, and people have been very, very quick to co-opt things that were written at a specific time for a specific group of people in biblical times, and equate it automatically with things that are happening today. Now, that may or may not be a good thing to do. We'll look at that here in just a moment. But let me just say broadly, in terms of the book of Revelation, one of the finest commentaries to help you understand this book, available today, is by a professor at my alma mater, Westminster Theological Seminary. He was not teaching there when I attended there, uh, Dr. G.K. Beale. He published a massive magisterial commentary on the book of Revelation some years ago, and it's over a thousand pages. Uh, even the condensed version, I think, is five, six, seven hundred pages. So uh, this is a book that's not easily understood and requires a great deal of scholarship to sort out all that it says. That notwithstanding, 
we're going to rush in perhaps where angels fear to tread. And I'm going to direct your attention to Revelation 13, where's the discussion of the two beasts, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth, and this symbolic and highly visionary prophetic um, event that's taking place in the life of John, who is the author of the book of Revelation. And in talking about these two beasts, he says this of the first. This is Revelation 13, 16. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, by the way. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and the number is 666. Now, it's not my intent to go into uh, significant exegetical interpretive discussion about what all that means. There are other outlets for you to pursue that. I'll recommend some things before this, uh, this discussion is over. But I will make these following statements before moving on to the broader topic. Um, this idea of being marked on the hand or the forehead has deep biblical roots. It's not something that's just ginned up here in the book of Revelation. And going all the way back to God making his covenant with Old Testament Israel, uh, he marked them, you shall keep these things as frontlets before your eyes and put them on your forehead and on your hand, meaning his law. And so it was a way, symbolically, that the people who obeyed God's law were identified or marked by their behavior and their dedication to this God and his law word as opposed to that of the pagans. And in, in other cultures around them, people had similar practices. You know, people marked slaves uh, with a mark or a tattoo or a brand that indicated they were the property of a certain owner. Um, in, in terms of operating and working in the, some of these ancient societies, you had to pay taxes to the government that happened to be in dominion over you. And we'll go with the example of Rome. Uh, because when the Romans took over places, they imposed taxes, and the taxes had to be paid with specific coins, and the coins had to have a mark on them, usually the mark of the Im image of the emperor. So these things were not new. They were in common practice, and perhaps to some extent we do the same thing today. You know, we, uh, you might get stamped on the back of your hand to go in and out of a store or a nightclub or some sort of thing like that. It's not all that nefarious or evil. But here, in this case, in the book of Revelation, it is referring to something that is evil. And it, it looks toward a time, whether it's in the immediate future of the people to whom the Revelation or the, the book was written, or some far distant future time, where you have something like a one-world government. And let me just hasten to say that that, too, is not some new idea. People need to really get hold of this, that one of the impulses of fallen sinful humanity has been to dominate the earth in the form of a one-world government. This isn't some fanciful nonsense. This is not somebody sitting down in the basement of their parents with a tinfoil hat. What do you think the Tower of Babel was all about? That was the effort in the early history of humanity to organize everything under one blasphemous, human-centered government. And whether you're talking about that or other efforts among the pagans, such as, for example, Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, in ancient Greek history. Philip of Macedon was one of the first efforts, or his efforts were among the first to form a one-world government. 
Now, it wasn't the world as we know it today. It was the organization of, uh, or the domination of competing tribes in the area where he lived in Greek, in the Greek islands and in Greece. So in that very reduced setting, it was a, quote, one world government in that you had a one ruler attempting to absorb all the smaller groups and the, the groups he could dominate under one rule and one head. You have the same thing with the ancient Persians, the Assyrians, right on up to the present day. This, this dream of dominating the world has not simply gone away. It has taken on a more technocratic uh, look to it. Uh, but the efforts of the part of um, the corporately managed governmental interest of our time, uh, this is the same goal. And the reason is, is that it's the same sinful impulse. As Dr. R.J. Rushdooney uh, pointed out to anyone who was interested in listening, the highest expression of human-centered worship, the highest expression of humanism is the state, is the government. This is where man worshiping man finds his highest expression. And so, bringing it back around to this text, uh, the author is talking about some time where you could not buy or sell or engage in trade unless you had this number of the beast, which there can be debate on this. As I said, I'll let you research this on your own. The number, the mark, and the name are essentially the same thing. It appears to me here. Now, there may be some difference of opinion on that. But the key thing is this. In verse 18, and if you're reading this in the Old King James and the New American Standard, there may be one or two others, but most of the modern translations, apart from the New American Standard, they miss this altogether. And so the number of this beast, the number of his name, is not 666. It's not three sixes. It's the number 666. And that becomes very, very important because it's the, name, uh, the number of the name of a man. Now, right away, you think, well, how could that be? Well, let's think about it. It doesn't take much effort to think about this. Where do we find that we have letters that would make up a name that also represent numbers? Well, we all are generally familiar, I think, with Roman numerals. You know how the letter V equals 5, the letter L equals 50, the letter X equals 10. Those are prime examples. Now, the Latin language was not the only one that originated uh, a numerical value for the letters of its alphabet. Ancient Greeks did the same thing. Ancient Hebrews did the same thing. And there were perhaps other languages as well. Now, the key thing for us to understand here is that these words from Revelation 13 are being written in a time when the followers of Jesus are being severely persecuted. And so, therefore, this has to have some relevance to them or it's just totally meaningless. I mean, think about this. You're, you're suffering horribly. Maybe everybody in your little church group in the year A.D. 59 or whatever it is in somewhere in the Roman Empire, they've been wiped out. They've been savagely beaten, tortured, killed. It's like the, the flame is about to go out. You're looking for some hope, some guidance, and the Lord in his divine providence causes the Apostle John to, to pen this writing while he himself was even suffering. And he gives you this word of wisdom and, and this word of encouragement, and he assures you, even though the world is crashing in upon you, you're depressed, you're sorrowful, you're looking for some measure of hope, well, according to the way mis people misread this, you can have every hope because 2,000 years later, everything will be fine. <laughs> Friends, that's no hope. That's absurd on the, on the face of it. So this has to have some relevance to the people to whom it was originally written. And therefore... When we try to come up with some answer to what this number, 666, is and how it might be relevant to those people, we see that probably the main source 
of violence and persecution was coming from the Roman government in that time. And the one person who would have the authority to say, if you are marked by the name of Jesus, if you have been marked by the baptism initiated by the leaders of his church on you and your children, then you will not be allowed to buy or sell or trade or live as a citizen in this society unless you have my mark, you know, the, the mark of Caesar, the mark of the government. And you see, as we talk about this, you can substitute any number of governments or Caesars, quote-unquote, but this one is very specific. The number 666, when transliterated out of the Hebrew language, why Hebrew if this was written in Greek? Because John, the man writing this, was a native Hebrew speaker, and plus he did not want this to be completely understood by each and every person who might get hold of it. So some of it is sort of written in code, if you will. But the people who were supposed to know would pick this up very quickly. The number 666, when given the numerical equivalent numerical value in the Hebrew language, equals the name Nero Caesar. Nero was one of the most de decadent and evil of the Roman emperors of that time period. And his name, transliterated from Hebrew into a numerical value, equals precisely 666. So what does that mean for us? How is this in any way relevant to what in the world is going on today with vaccines and tattoo marks and all the rest of it? Well, it's relevant in this sense. As I said, from the beginning of the fall of humanity and the sinful impulses of our fallen nature, this has been the desire of people to dominate others and people who are strong and powerful. They want to dominate the whole world. And so naturally, they will try to control things. Is the idea of a vaccine that someone, that everyone might be forced to take a direct connection with Revelation 13, 18 specifically? No, it isn't. However, is it in some way broadly connected with this? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Because then as now, and then as even earlier, you have evil men and their governments who seek to dominate the human race. And they will do whatever they can to regulate trade and commerce, define what is life and what isn't life, define what a family is and what it isn't, define what it means for you to be a human being or a good citizen of the realm. And so in that broad sense, uh, the, the rise of these sort of things, tattoo marks, you say, well how, well, how does that have to do with buying and selling? Well, obviously, we see in this age of the uh, coronavirus, there might be some discussion about whether you would be admitted into a store to shop if you don't have that specific mark. I mean, we're already seeing this in our time where some people are not admitted to stores unless they're wearing these masks, unless you get your temperature taken. This would have been inconceivable just a few years ago, leave alone 10 or 20 years ago. But now, it's quite commonplace. And people, many of whom, frankly, probably should know better, are rolling over for it, folding like lawn chairs, ready to receive the vaccine, the mark. No, this has no relevance whatsoever to these early Christians who were facing maybe a similar threat. But it does have very strong relevance in terms of the broader principles of what is the nature of man, where is the source of law and authority, and whose mark we should bear ultimately. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we must bear his mark, the mark of baptism. And we must bear his mark in that we show our obedience to his law. You will inevitably obey some law. 
and the people who make the laws will inevitably obey the higher law. And whatever that law is, it will define what mark you have. I hope this study has been helpful in some measure, uh, insofar as people are concerned about these issues and the, uh, the relevance of biblical prophecy to our time or its lack thereof. And so until next time, we'll bid you farewell and pray that the Lord will guide you and keep you. Goodbye. <laughs>